coaches. All right, Revelation chapter 3, let's pray. We're going to pick up there in verse 7. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. I pray for everyone who's here, that you would minister to every heart. We pray for anybody who's new here today, that they would feel welcomed and loved. We pray for the many people that are watching this on live stream right now. May you minister to their hearts as well. So Lord, be glorified. May man decrease, your spirit would increase. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. So Revelation, as we know, we talked about this, is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word is apocalypsis, the unveiling. So as we go through Revelation, we're getting to know Jesus better. Chapter 1, we saw a picture of Jesus in heaven, and we saw the, the characteristics and attributes of who he is. And then in chapters 2 and 3, we're seeing what is called the church age. So Revelation 1.19 gives us the outline, the things which are, the things which were, the things which are, and the things which are to come. So in chapters 2 and 3, we see the church age. We see seven different churches. We'll be in the sixth, sixth of those seven churches today. So far, we've seen the church at Ephesus. They left their first love. They were a really busy church doing a lot of stuff, but they had taken their eyes off of the Lord. Then we saw the church at Smyrna. They were the church that was persecuted for their faith, and they remained strong. And then we saw the compromising church in Pergamos. Then we saw the corrupt church in Thyatira. And then if you were here last Sunday, we saw the dead church. And what made that church dead? When we think of a dead church, we might think of an old beat-up building with cobwebs and a broken-down organ and, and a, a building where nobody comes. And often a dead church is filled with activity, but what makes it dead is there's no presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So now we come to this morning's text, and we're going to look at the Church of Philadelphia. The Church of Philadelphia could be referred to as the Faithful Church. So if you grab your outline, you have your outline, grab it. If you don't, there's some on the back table back there. You can grab one. It'll help you follow along through the message this morning. So I'll tell the message, the characteristics of a faithful church or a faithful believer. Someone who pleases the Lord. Guys, as believers... Praise God that we're saved, we're born again, we're going to heaven, we're new creations in Christ. But my prayer would be that we would not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. Amen? We wouldn't be satisfied just to have the get out of hell free card in our wallet, but we would want to live lives that bring glory and honor to the name of our Savior. Amen? My prayer is that we would represent Him well, that we would be a reflection of Him. We're called to be the light of the world, the Bible tells us. We're called to be salt and light to a lost and a dying world. So these are characteristics of somebody, of a church itself, as we're going to look at the church in Philadelphia, but also for us as individuals. Number one, a love for holiness and the truth. A love for holiness and the truth. Does the world love truth? They don't even know what the truth is. They can't figure out what two plus two is, and they don't know what a boy or a girl is, right? And so the reality is, it's just sad. You know what, what it is? Satan is the father of lies. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So every lie is satanic, and every time the truth is boldly, it's, it's Christ-like. Amen? And so we should be people of the truth, unashamed of the truth, proclaiming the truth with boldness, doing it in love, though. Amen? But, but proclaiming the truth. But also holiness. Holy has become the for some people, it's kind of like a bad word. What are you going to some kind of holy Joe or something, man? I hope I'm holy Dave. How about you? Amen? Because holy, right? We want to be set apart unto the Lord. And holiness is a good thing because Almighty God gave us commands, again, not to keep us from fun, but to keep us from harm. And when we walk in obedience to his word, our lives are blessed. It doesn't mean we won't go through trials. But when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Amen? And so the first thing we'll see... We're not only followers, but we're imitators of Christ. We should have a desire to live holy and set apart and to walk in the truth. By the way, you can't do any of that without the Holy Spirit. Amen? Trying to do it in your own strength, it's going to be a disaster. That's why we need the Lord. Number two, trusting in His strength, not our own. We should love to obey. Obedience is a get-to, not a have-to. If I give my life to Jesus, then i got to like obey or something. I don't want to do that. Guys, obedience is a blessing. Amen? I would admit it to people all the time, and they'd say, well, if, but, but, if, but if I get saved, i got to stop smoking weed. If I get saved, i got to stop sleeping with my girlfriend. If I get saved, I can't party on the weekends. I said, if you get saved, you won't want to do any of those things. Amen? Because again, obey, obedience to the Lord. And again, 
You're not trying to earn salvation through good works, but when you get saved, everything about your life should change. And we should desire to live holy and set up our lives and trust in his strength, not our own, because we can't do this in our own strength. We can't just try harder. We got to surrender more. We got to just lay our lives at his feet and say, Lord, I can't do this without you. Lord, help me. Lord, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit, because Lord, I can't do this without you. So we're going to see trusting in his strength, not our own. Number three, leaving judgment in God's hands. Boy, that's tough sometimes, isn't it? Amen. So don't you feel like James and John sometimes? You know who they are? The sons of thunder, right? You know who those guys are in the Bible, right? Sons of thunder. One of them wrote this book, by the way. God used him, right? But, you know, he became the beloved, but before that, son of thunder. What, what happened early on is they would see people acting contrary to God, and he'd say, could you just bring fire down and smoke them where they stand? And sometimes, no one else besides me has ever thought that way. <laughs> But when you see something that's contrary to the word of God and people are mocking God and people are belligerent about God and they're hateful, there's at least a part of you that's like, can I be next to him on judgment day just to see how that works out? You know what I mean? I'm, hey, I'm being transparent up here, okay? Now, the reality is when I feel that way, I get convicted because there before the grace of God goes every one of us. And we're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread, Amen. But there is that heart where you're like, like, it just shows the mercy of our God, doesn't it? People mock his name, curse his name. You got satanic stuff going on. I mean, there's so many things that are going on in the world around us, and it's just nauseating. And you just say, Lord, but, it, but praise God, that same grace that he shows them is the grace he's shown us. We must never lose sight of that. By the way, guys, if you're not coming on, on Saturday mornings, every other Saturday you should come. We have, we have, I don't think we had like 35 guys here yesterday. And we're going to why grace changes everything, and grace is something we all need to learn better. So leave judgment in God's hand, in God's hands. It's a spiritual battle that we're fighting. And the battle's not going to be won again if we try harder. It's going to be won when we surrender more and when God, again, we know God is in control. Number four, persevering in the midst of persecution. Trusting God to deliver us in His perfect time. It's so good to know if God is for us, who can be against us? You bless God as a majority. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? And so because that's true, that we can just leave it in God's hands. We can just trust in his sovereignty. We can trust in his faithfulness. And let's keep our eyes on him. And then when we're being persecuted, does God know you're being persecuted? Does God know what you're going through? Of course he does. And he allows it for a reason, and he will use it for his glory if you will but let him. Let's not be behind God or in front of God. Let's be walking right with God. Amen? Number five, living every day in anticipation of his soon return. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? I would love to blow a hole in the top of this room this morning as we just get raptured right out of here. Amen? And then someone else who didn't know the Lord have to come clean it up. Amen? But the reality is, but the reality is that we're getting closer the Bible says in the last days, men will call good evil and evil good. And we're living in such a time as that right now. And it, so we should live every day in anticipation of his soon return, knowing that we have a vapor of time. You know, as I announced last week, you know, March 31st is my last day at my company where I've been for 35 years. But I'm not doing that because I don't feel like I can't do it for 10 more because I could. Because I know God gave me the strength to do it. But I also feel like I've got a vapor of time to be about it. And then people say, well, I'm glad you're retiring. Well, I'm not really retiring I'm just taking the time away that I was spending on one mission field, and I want to focus on this mission field. Does that make sense? And so there's an urgency, there's a, a reality that when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And we want to be about it for the kingdom of God, and we should have an eternal perspective. The next time you get upset, is it, just think about it, is this going to impact eternity? Is it really all that big a deal? The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. And the rest of this stuff, we just shouldn't let it, just leave Live every day in light of a soon return, pursuing a heavenly reward. And then finally, having the promise of eternal and unshakable reward. I am blown away that my wicked, vile, sinful self, who deserves to burn in hell, Jesus came and loved me unconditionally, knows me best, loves me most, went to the cross of Calvary, took all of my sin, past, present, and future upon himself, suffered in my place, endured the torment, the suffering, and the shame, Went into the ground, you know, died, 
and then three days later rose from the dead, triumphed over sin and death, veil was torn so I could enter into his presence, and he paid the price so I could be forgiven, and then he gives me gifts, and then if I use the gifts that he gave me that I can't use without him, he's then going to reward me for using gifts that he gave me that I could only have because he went to the cross. What a great and awesome God we serve, amen? He did it all. But you know what? The Bible tells us we should desire the crowns that can be given to us in heaven. And, it's, and I know most of us are like, as long as I'm there, I'm good. I don't care. I don't have to live in the mansion on Hallelujah Avenue. I can be out on the outskirts of town somewhere. I'm, I'm just to give me to heaven. Amen. But we should desire it because the Lord says we should desire it. Amen. We should desire to, I want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. How about you? So let's begin there looking at characteristics of a faithful church, a faithful believer. And we're going to see first a love for holiness and the truth. It says there in verse 1, or verse 7, excuse me. And the, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write. So if you've been coming, we know the angel, or their angel is messenger. Again, some would say that maybe that's an angel over the church. I believe it's the pastor in the church. So I believe these messages were being delivered to the pastors to say, okay, here's what Jesus has to say about the church you pastor. And now you need to go back and deliver this to your people. And you know what? As we saw the dead church last week, the pastor's accountable to some degree that that church is dead. Amen? Because he should be teaching the word and making a stand for the truth. And so there's heavy accountability here. And as these are actual churches, I also believe all seven of these churches are a picture of the church at large. That we all have some of these things going on in the local churches that surround us. Philadelphia is the smallest cities, city of all the seven that we are going to see. Probably had the smallest church. Um, it's uh, Philadelphia is where we're, you know, we get the word phileo, right, in the Bible, for brotherly love. It's not in Pennsylvania, by the way. This Philadelphia is 40 miles southeast of Sardis. It was an agricultural area known for its wine and vineyards, uh, which was, was, was its main source of income. And the city was named after its founder, Atulus Philadelphus. Again, he was the king of Pergamus, and again, he was the one that had a nickname of Philadelphus, and it was given to him because of his great love for his brother. And so this city was named after this man who loved his brother, and that's why we have this term for brotherly love. So Philadelphia, again, comes from that Greek phileo, and as Christians, we are called to have brotherly love and affection towards one another. I mean this from the bottom of my heart, and God knows it. I love each and every one of you more than you will ever know. And it's a get-to, because blood is thicker than water, it's been said, but the Holy Spirit's thicker than blood, and when we have Jesus in common, we've got everything in common, amen? Like, I was just blessed to be in the movie theater with all of you on Wednesday night. Just being with God's people, right? Whenever God's people are there, it's just better, amen? And what a joy. By the way, if you haven't seen the movie, go see it. You'll be blessed. So, it's mentioned seven times in the New Testament, the word there for brotherly love. It says in Romans 12, Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. See, real love is esteeming others greater than yourself. That's what love really means, right? The reason that the, the divorce rate is so high is people don't even understand what love is. And by the way, you cannot have agape love if you don't have the Holy Spirit. Because it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we love deeper and we grieve harder. So we've talked about that, the three Greek words. Again, we've said it a lot, but real quickly, eros is where we get the word erotic. It is a selfish lust. It's, it's a what can you do for me love. So it's not really love. It's somebody who uses somebody else for their own benefit. And if somebody else comes along that's a better option, they'll just kick that one to the side and take the other person that, that you know, gives them what they want. And this is why, again, marriages fail, because if you go into the marriage saying, what can you do for me? And the other person says, what can you do for me? It's going to fall apart because you're going to disappoint each other. True agape love is not what can you do for me? It's what can I do for you? Eros takes, agape gives. Amen? For God so loved, so agape the world that he gave. And so this love that we're talking about here is a different than, it's not that worldly kind of love. And again, that's why love in English is a horrible, it's just not, it just, it's not good because I love tacos. <laughs> you know, I love tacos. I love warm weather. I love, you know, I love the 49ers. I love my wife. I love God. Those better be different. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> Babe, I love you way more than tacos, okay? 
But there's this phileo, is this word, it's that kindly, brotherly affection, and that's what the city was named after. And I suspect that this was an attribute of the church, that they were known for it. So Philadelphia was a very prosperous city. Uh, They commanded one of the greatest highways in the world. It was a gateway from one continent to another, from Europe to the east. It was built with deliberate intention of being a missionary city to spread the Greek language, culture, and way of life to the regions beyond. So they were missionaries, but not for Christ. They were missionaries for their culture. They wanted to spread their culture. I'll be honest with you. I really don't care that much about our culture all that much. It won't matter in heaven. Can I get an amen to that? I love our country. I'm blessed to be an American. But way before I'm an American, I'm a Christian. Amen? And I love the Lord more. So Philadelphia, like the other cities in the region we've discussed in previous weeks, is filled with pagan idolatry. Pagan idolatry is everywhere. Drunkenness, sexual immorality. They were involved in worship to their pagan gods. And so they would you know, chase after money all week. Sexual immorality was going on. Then they would go worship at the temple to one of these deities. Some of the deities had temple prostitutes. It was just a disaster. Sounds like California. Amen? Where people strive after the things of the world, and then they worship at the thing that feeds their flesh, and they don't worship the true and the living God. So in the middle of all that, there's a church. And when we look at these churches in these cities, just keep in mind, there's only one church. So if you don't like the pastor, good luck. Amen. There was no, you didn't, there weren't another church down the street you could go to. So Philadelphia is known for their beautiful buildings and, and also frequent earthquakes. I'm telling you, it's California, right? <laughs> and they had so many gods and so many uh, temples, it was referred to as the Little Athens. So again, you're, you're in a city and imagine everywhere you walk, there's idols everywhere and people are chasing after money everywhere and drunkenness is everywhere and sexual immorality is everywhere. They're worshiping their pagan gods and, and you pastor the church in town. You've got people in that town that serve the Lord. The Christians in Philadelphia had to go against the flow of the culture in order to make a stand for the Lord. Again, that sounds like us. We have to go against the culture. We don't go with the flow. You've heard me say it. Any dead fish can go with the flow. Amen. We don't want to go with the flow. We want to live for the Lord in direct opposition to what the world will tell us to do. It's true that every generation of Christians has had to make a stand against the direction of the world that the world wanted us to take. And so for them, it was a difficult time. It's certainly true in this pagan immoral land, and it's true for us today. And Philadelphia, along with Smyrna, was one of the two churches for which the Lord had only praise and no rebuke. So the other ones, he would start off by telling the good things they were doing, and then he'd go, oh, by the way, but I have this against you. He doesn't have anything against Philadelphia in this text. He's going to encourage them. He's going to exhort them. He's going to praise them, if you will. So make all, all churches and all Christians want to be like the church in Philadelphia. And this morning's text will show us the godly character that was found in this church. And this is an example for us to follow. So in the Bible, we have examples not to follow, but this morning we have an example to follow in the church of Philadelphia. And then he says this, there in verse 7, these things says, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. So who's speaking here? Jesus. And so At the beginning of each church, he talks about one of his attributes that's something that that church needs to hear. So in this case, he's letting them know the one who is holy and the one who is true. Jesus once again describes attributes of his character, but unlike previous letters, again, he's not reminding them of something they lack or have forgotten, but is encouraging them to remain faithful in what they are doing because of who they serve. Guys, can I encourage you when you start to get weary in well-doing, just be encouraged and remember who it is that you serve. Remember who it is that's with you, who it is that is for you, that you're never alone in this. It's always worth it. Amen? Yesterday morning, I was tempted not to come. I was exhausted because I'm finishing my job, so I'm going to try to see all my clients before I leave. And then I had a funeral in the evening, and I'd gotten up early the morning before, and then I went to bed, and I didn't get a lot of sleep. And I, you know, and I'm like, what else am I going to do? Popped up, and it was a blessing, amen? See, when we get weary and well-doing sometimes, we, we get tired and, you know, we, we have reasons not to do what God has called us to do, but 
We serve the Holy One. We serve the one who's true. And when we go hang out with God's people, we spend time praising the Holy One, and we, we learn more of the truth when we spend time studying His Word. The word holy there is sacred, or physically pure, morally blameless, consecrated, set apart. We serve the one who is perfect. There's nobody else that we can serve that is within five million miles of perfect, Amen. Well, that's why we serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We don't put our faith in any man. We don't put our faith in a politician. We don't put our faith in, in anyone. We put our faith in Jesus Christ alone, amen? And he will never disappoint you. He will never disappoint you. He's so faithful, and he is holy, and he is perfect, and we want to follow him. And the more time we spend with him, the more we become like him. And we will never be perfect, but we can be a reflection of the one who is. Jesus in whom holiness dwells. From whom whom all holiness is derived. Without Jesus, nothing's holy. He makes it holy. That's why, hey, look, if you come from the Catholic Church, God bless you. We're glad you're here. The Pope is not the Holy Father. Amen. 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 Now, when we're born again, we are made holy, but uh, call no man Father, and there's one Holy Father, and He's in heaven. Can I get amen to that? So the point is, we, we, we serve the true and holy one, and we do become holy in a sense, right? You know, we become either a saint or an ain't, amen, right? Either a sanctified one, set apart unto the Lord, or you don't know the Lord. But again, it's only, if, if, if there's anything holy in me, if there's anything holy in you, it's because of him, it's not because of us, amen? It's his holiness in us that comes through us. Jesus is holy. He is holiness personified. He's holy in his character, holy in his thoughts, holy in his words, holy in his actions, and holy in his purposes. So if we are to follow him, we should be holy in our character, holy in our thoughts, holy in our words, holy in our actions, and holy in our purposes. Amen? You can't say, well, I can watch this, and it doesn't really impact me. I know it's ungodly what I'm watching, but it won't impact me. No, but it does, because it impacts your thoughts. Amen? So a thought, reap an action. So an action you know, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a destiny. Amen? So it begins in our thought life. It begins with what we entertain ourselves with. He's holy. We're called to be holy. He commands us. It says in Leviticus, for I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify. That means set apart yourselves and you shall be holy for I am holy. Then in 1 Peter, it's repeated. It is written, be holy for I am holy. Again, holiness is not you getting rid of things and trying to do better and making a bunch of legalistic rules that makes you feel better about yourself. True holiness is dying to yourself completely, surrendering completely to the Lord and walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We can't do it without Him. So He alone is holy in the absolute sense. But as Christians, we are to not only be followers, but imitators of Jesus Christ. I want you to hear that one more time. We're called to be followers. We're also called to be imitators of Jesus Christ. That's what a Christian means, a little Christ, right? Followers, we're not Christ. We're not God. There is the two undeniable facts. There is a God, and you're not Him. Can I get an amen to that? And you never will be, contrary to what the Mormons might teach. You're not going to be God of your own planet. We're sinners in desperate need of a Savior, but we are to represent Him. We're to have an impact on the lost world. We must be set apart from it. So not only is He holy, He is true. He doesn't just speak the truth. He is the truth. Amen? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Amen? I've told you guys this. I don't like to make, but you know, and I caught static, and I ended up getting thrown out of the class. But I had a philosophy class, and my first day in my philosophy class, Dr. Jerry Cloyd, I should look him up, but I had this philosophy class, and I went in, and it was in a big auditorium, and I played on the football team, and it happened to be a football day, so I had my jersey on. I'm still with a couple guys on the team. First thing he says is, if any of you people here are stupid and ignorant enough to believe in absolute truth, stand up, and I will make a fool of you right now. So I stood up. (laughs) And he said, tell me what absolute truth is, big dumb jock in the back row. And I said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the truth. I lasted about three weeks in that class. <laughs> now, that being said, I was only able to say that because the Holy Spirit prompted me to do so. And I didn't want to stand up, but I did only by the grace of God. Amen? And, and we've all done that where we don't stand up. 
Certainly I have. How about you? But the point is, when someone wants to know what the truth is, it's always Jesus. And so when you hear a lie, it's an attack on who Jesus is. And Satan is the father of lies. So the Philadelphians were living in a land that was filled with false gods and unholy living. And Jesus is holy. He is the true, real, and genuine God. He is holy in a world filled with sin. He is true in a world filled with lies. He is real in a world filled with fake people. Jesus is the personification of perfection, holiness, truth, and the genuine. And if you want to see holiness, look to Jesus. You want to see truth in action? Look to Jesus. Looking for a genuine Savior? Look to Jesus. The Philadelphia believers were surrounded by lies and liars and the false and the fake, and Jesus is the answer, and they're being reminded to keep their eyes on Him. When you put your faith in anybody else, you'll be disappointed. Living holy and set-apart lives, standing for the truth, they were called as believers to be a reflection of Him in a lost and a dying world. This world needs truth so much it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it just blows my mind that people can't even figure out that there's two genders. I'm just blown away by this. But it also was with, with evolution, that you went from the goo to the zoo to you. What a bunch of nonsense. God created you in His own image. Amen? Marriage is male and female. God said so. Amen? But here's what happens is all the lies come from the enemy, and it's all to tear down the truth at creation. Amen? It's all the truth, and he is the truth, and we can stand for the truth. Amen? And the Philadelphians were living in a place of fakes and lies and phonies and false gods, and they were standing for the truth, and the Lord's congratulating them. Jesus wasn't ashamed to be holy in this world, and neither should we. He was unashamed. We should not be ashamed. And again, be loving, be kind, be gracious, don't be self-righteous. We're all, again, one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. But people drawn to Jesus, did they come because he was just like the world? They came because nothing like the world. Amen? And here's the thing, when pe- people that will mock you, you know, I've been in the same company 35 years, and people would mock me behind my back, you know, and call me Holy Dave and all that, that's fine. But then when something tragic happened in their life, and they needed someone to talk to or to pray for them, they end up in your office or at your cubicle and saying, well, can you pray for me? You know why? Because we know the truth. We're all sinners, saved by grace, but we know the truth. Amen? Amen. Looking to Jesus. So they wanted to live holy and set-apart lives. People were not drawn to Jesus because he was like the world, because he lived, a holy, and lived holy and spoke truth in the midst of a lost and a dying world. Notice it says, he who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. So here he's speaking the key. He speaks of authority. So Jesus is the authority. Amen? He has the, 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 the authority in his hands, and the only one who has the key has the authority and the ability to open the door and give access or to lock the door from all who are entering it. So key of David is a quote from Isaiah twenty-two twenty-two. And it says, and the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulders, so he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and no one shall open. I said at the beginning, when I was doing an overview of Revelation, two-thirds of the book of Revelation is referencing things in the Old Testament that all point to Jesus. And so Jesus is the one that opens the doors that no man can shut, and shuts the doors that no man can open. God is in control. He's got the keys to life. He is the key to life. Amen? And so this was obviously a a reference to the coming Messiah. And so Jesus is a descendant of David. Amen? One of the terms for the Messiah is the son of David. So this is speaking of Jesus being the Messiah. He's the one that holds the key in his hand. He's the one that opens the doors that no man could shut. When you're trying to make a, a decision, when you're going through a difficult time and you have a decision you need to make, uh, we know who the truth is. We know we can approach him. And we know he has the keys and he can open the doors that he wants to open and shut the doors he wants to shut. And when he does, he knows what's best for us and we should praise him. If he shuts the door we want it open or if he opens the door we want it shut. Can I get an amen to that? We trust him, not our own wisdom, our own strength. So the promise that was made again, to, it, this was back in King Hezekiah's time, but he alone would determine who would get in to see the king. So there's a reference to. So who gets to get in to see the king? The Lord is the one that opens the door to be in the king's presence or keeps it shut so you can't enter in because Jesus is the judge. Amen? 
Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what will, where you will spend eternity is all based on one thing. What have you done with God's Son? Amen? Where are you at with Jesus? That's what will determine it. So while this certainly speaks of, again, divine appointments and opportunities that God sets before us, He opens doors for a job or shuts doors for a place where we might want to move or we're trying to seek the Lord's wisdom, the ultimate fulfillment is the access to the Father and eternity in heaven. Again, Jesus is the only way to heaven. I'm glad that Christianity is narrow. How about you? I'm glad there aren't 550 ways and I've got to figure it out amongst a million options. There's only one way, one hope, one truth, one answer, one life, and it's Jesus. Revelation 1.8, we saw, and I have the key to Hades and of death. That's why Christians die well. Jesus alone can give you and I access to the Father and citizenship in heaven. He has all the authority to allow someone into heaven or to ban them from coming. The entrance is available through only His shed blood. So Jesus doesn't, doesn't just hold the key. He is the way. He is the answer, and only through Him can we be saved. No idol, no temple, no ritual can bring that access. Only Jesus can. All the religious rituals in the world, all the Hail Marys you might want to pray, crawling on your, you know, face on glass to Mecca. I mean, all these things you can try to do in your own strength, none of that gives you access to the Father. The only way we get access to the Father is through the Son, and His name is Jesus Christ. Amen? And so He's letting them know, I'm the way. I'm the answer. I'm the truth. He's the example of holiness. So a love for holiness and a love for the truth, characteristics of a faithful church or believer. Number two, Trusting in his strength, not our own. Look at verse 8. He says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and not denied my name. He says, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. One of the things that we struggle with in this life is that we try to do things in our own strength, and we don't seek the Lord's wisdom or direction before we go. And then when we get there and it's a mess, because we don't know if God even sent us there to begin with, we struggle. You've heard me say this, I've been blessed to plant two different churches, and, and it's only by the grace of God, but Pastor Don McClure, when I went out to plant the church in Santa Cruz, he set me down, and I'll never forget it, he goes, Dave, you need to know that you 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 know that God's sending you to Santa Cruz to plant that church. Because once you know that you know that you know that you know that you know, when you get there and the problems come, you'll say, well, I know God brought me here, so it's okay. And these are God's problems, and I know I'm exactly where God wants me to be, and so the, the torments all around me, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm facing huge waves, that's okay, because God brought me here, and God is with me, and I'm going to stay here, and I'm not leaving until He tells me different. Amen? But here's what happens if you go out and you don't know. Then when the problem is raised up, you go, I don't think I should have been here to begin with. I don't know what I'm doing here. Right? Because what happens is the trials will come, be it your job, be it your marriage, be it whatever, health issues. And again, if, if, we don't, if we're not walking with the Lord, see, when you're walking with the Lord, you're not alone. Amen? And you know, even when the trials are at their worst, well, God brought me here. So I'm going to be faithful to do what God's called me to do. In this world, you will have what? But be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. And so the exhortation here is, he says, I know your works. He says to each of the seven churches, whether good or bad, he knows their works. And the Lord knows us. He knows if we're hungry for him, if we're seeking to know him. And he knows when we fail, if we have hearts of repentance, he knows us. And he knows us best and he loves us most. And he said, I've set before you an open door. Often an open door speaks of evangelistic opportunities. It says in 2 Corinthians 2.12, furthermore, when I've come to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. You know, our church, believe it or not, uh, in about six weeks, the church will be 10 years old. Started on April 13th or 14th, April 14th, 2013, meeting in the community center out in Calabasas. But everything that God's done in this fellowship is so obvious. We lost our building in Calabasas. They called me on a Saturday night and said we couldn't meet there anymore because they were afraid of all the people showing up and getting in trouble with the government because of COVID. And then someone told me to call Tony. We showed up here, door opened, we're here, and we absolutely know God brought us here. Amen? But see, when we're walking with the Lord, He opens doors and He shows you. And when you go and, okay, well, the, 
tents cold and stuff. Okay. But we know we're supposed to be here. Can I get an amen to that? And so when the trials come, it's okay because God's in control. It says Colossians 4.3, Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mysteries of Christ, for which I am also in chains. That's a prayer, being prayed for open doors. Hey, if we didn't move here, Pastor Joshua's not the campus pastor here. Amen? Chris Ramirez isn't teaching Bible here. My wife's not working. Some of the teachers that go to this church come here because they work here. So God knows what he's doing. Can I get an amen to that? So we don't have to strive in it. Just do it in his strength, not mine. I'll get weary. I'll get tired. We go weary in well-doing. Jesus is telling the believers in Philadelphia that he's opened a door for evangelistic opportunity to them, even in a pagan-invested world. I've got you there for a reason. You're the church in that city for a reason. I know there's idol worship there. I know there's sexual immorality and drunkenness and all this stuff all around you, but I put you there for a reason. I put you there to be salt and light. And by the way, he didn't say, unless there's a cheaper house in Texas. Can I get an amen to that? (laughs) I called you here. Let's be here. This place needs Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? An open door doesn't mean an easy door. He said an open door. He said it was going to be an easy door. But it's an open door. First Corinthians, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and, these, and there are many adversaries. That's First Corinthians. So God opened the door. So someone will say, well, if the door is open, then it will just be smooth sailing. Show me that in the Bible. Everybody used mildly suffered greatly. Amen. So when we go through the door that God opens for us, often we find the enemy waiting on the other side because he knows that God wants to do something in us and through us. Amen? So we as a church, when we go through difficult times and when things don't go our way and we lose the place we're supposed to meet, it doesn't matter. God's in control. And if we all have to meet, when the fire hit, we met in the the green belt behind my house. We'll just go wherever we need to go. Amen? And God will use you wherever you are if you will let him. The enemy wants to have you run away from where God's put you. To reference to Paul's time in Ephesus, the open door for the gospel, he faced great opposition, but God used him there mightily. Sometimes we can think that if God has opened a door, everything will be easy, and when things get difficult, we often say, well, I guess God's shutting this door. Not so. Open doors are opportunities, divine appointments, not a promise of ease or to be free of opposition. Matthew 5 In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake. Rejoice in me exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I would rather be in the biggest storm in the world, standing next to Jesus, than in the palace with everything the world has to offer without him. Amen? In its history, Philadelphia had a great evangelistic calling, strategically located so they could spread Greek culture but what really ended up happening was the gospel got spread because people would come through town and get saved and they would move on and take it home with them. See, guys, God puts us where he puts us for a reason. And if we're there, let's be faithful until he tells us to leave. Now, Jesus opens the door for them to spread the gospel. And once we see the open door, we then must walk through it by faith. Notice the attributes of this church for whom Jesus opens the door of opportunity. He says, you have little strength. He didn't say, I'm using you because you're a stud. That's not what he says. I'm using you because you're yoked. I'm using you because you're charismatic. He goes, you have little strength, but you kept my word. You know, from the world's perspective, there's nothing special about you from the world's perspective, but you're special to God. And in our little strength, but they kept his word and you have not denied my name. Boy, I'll tell you what, if that's your Bible in your hand, you better underline that verse. Let me say, for you have a little strength, but you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. Guys, that's a long way to go and to be what God wants us to be, keeping his word and not denying his name. Amen? There's no other name under heaven by which men must be strength. The word little there is micro. It's like micron. It means it's like the smallest measurement. Yeah, you got a little bit of it. And you got a little tiny bit. You got a little bit of strength. You got a tiny little bit. I can't barely measure it, right? You got a little bit of strength. Same word that was used to describe Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? <laughs> you went to Sunday school, you know that song, right? It was a wee little man. He said, you got wee little strength. The word strength there, though, I love it. It's dunamis. It's where you get the word for dynamic, dynamite. 
It's explosive, right? So it's the strength that we have is in the Lord. It's the same word that was used for power in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So even though our strength is small, if it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's plenty because it's in Him. Amen? Interpreted by some as a significance in the world's eyes, not many believers, little political effluence, little to no recognition from the world. You know, our prayer should be that no one knows our name and they all know His. Amen? Don't underestimate how greatly God can use those who seem to have little to offer in the world's eyes, especially those who walk in obedience to God's word and are unashamed of him. Oh, if so-and-so would get saved, can you just imagine? And we'll think if some celebrity got saved, and then what happens is some celebrity gets saved, and then they put him up on a pedestal, and six months later, he's lost his mind. Amen? And that's why you lay hands on no man quickly. God doesn't need anybody. We need him. He doesn't need us. We need him. He does it in spite of us. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. You know what that makes us? The foolish things. Can I get him into that? <laughs> we can't be too big or too strong or too sure of ourselves to be used by God. There were men who were physically strong in Scripture, and they crashed and burned. Samson. Big, strong, he-man, she-weak. Amen? <laughs> His name meant bright light or sun, and he died in the darkness with his eyes poked out, crying out for vengeance. And he'd been God's man in the beginning. See, when we have our own strength, we, we, you know, the Bible says a young man's pride is in his strength. When I was a young man, I used to do competitive bench press. And, you know, when they asked me how much I bench, he kind of liked that, eh, 485. And people, you know, whoa, dude, you're strong. So what? But see, that's what, but we, we put our, our focus on the things that we've done and what we can do, and we want everyone to know, and we get caught up in our pride. Amen? Instead, we should talk about what he's done. Amen? Church in Philadelphia had the poverty of spirit to know what they really needed was God's strength, not their own. Note their faithfulness in their weakness. You've kept my word and not denied my name. The church in Philadelphia was faithful and obedient to the word of God in the midst of great persecution, surrounded again by idolatry and sexual immorality. They kept his word. Not only did they know what it said, but they obeyed it. It's not enough to know what the word says. We need to obey it. Obedience, again, is the highest form of worship. It's a reflection of not only our faith in our Savior, but our love for him. If you love him, you'll obey him. And because I love him, I want to obey him. And because I love him, when I don't obey him, my heart's broken. You grieve the most when you... It says in John 14, 15, Do you love me? Keep my commandments. Amen? You've not denied my name. You've not denied my name. I'm tired of Christians using another name instead of Christian or, or, or taking... Some, well, I'm a faith follower. Stop it. Stop it. I'm on my journey to find... No! We are born-again Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, and we are Christians. Can I get an amen to that? I want to be known by His name. I'm not worthy of it. They unashamedly knew the truth. Jesus alone is God. He's the only way to heaven. He's fully God. He's fully man. He was born of a virgin. He's holy. He's sinless. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. They were unwavering in all of that in the face of people that mock it. I actually, I, I kind of love that, by the way. I love when someone says, oh, you're a Christian, you really believe? I go, all of it. Let's go, bro. Well, you got questions? Let's do it. I love that. You're a pastor. I got questions. I got all the time in the world. Let's talk. Because the reality is, we do not check our brains at the door. We don't believe in spite of the evidence. The word of God is true. It can be proven archaeologically, historically, and prophetically. And more, more importantly than probably all of that, it's proven by the lives that it's transformed for thousands of years. Amen? God's word is true. Don't have, well, I'm a Christian. You don't have to be like that. We can be bold for him. We can stand up for his name. Amen? They were unwavering. When dialing it down would have brought down the persecution, they didn't dial it down. I used to have a Christian friend of mine and say, bro, you just need to dial it down, bro. You would catch so much static, man, if you just dialed it down. I'm like, give me a dial it down verse and I'll dial it down. <laughs> And the Apostle Paul dialed it down. It says nowhere in the Bible. Can I get him into that? <laughs> We're not called to dial it down to keep it to ourselves. And you can't impact anybody else's life. Just keep it to yourself. I don't impact anybody's life, but the Lord does. Amen? Yeah. 
great faithfulness in the word of the Lord. There are those who had it and they deny his name. They represent Jesus far different than who Jesus is. True belief is reflected in our behavior. An evangelistic opportunity, I've opened the door. You have little strength, put your reliance upon God. You've kept my word, you're being faithful to the Lord. That's the man or the woman that God will use. Amen? May we be those people. Help us, Lord. It's not great strength or great ability, but great dependability. It's when you depend on God, when you're desperate for God. You get Samson had great ability and poor dependability, and we saw where he ended up. God has all the strength he needs. He used a teenager to slay a giant. He can use people like you and I to reach a lost and a dying world. God has you in your neighborhood to be salt and light. God has you in your workplace to be salt and light. God gives you divine appointments throughout the day. We are called to bring salt. We want revival. It needs to start in our hearts first, and then we need to be unashamed of the gospel and be willing to share, other, share it with others. Amen? So they were, they were commended for keeping the word and being faithful to who he is, trusting in his strength. Leaving, God's, leaving judgment in God's hands, look at verse 9. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Whoa. Does Jesus talk like that? The synagogue of Satan, who's he talking about? Talking about the devil, but he's talking about the people who proclaim themselves to be followers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the true and living God. And then when Jesus came, they rejected him as the Messiah. They called out for his crucifixion. Now, I want to make it really clear before I go take another word. We are pro-Israel because God's pro-Israel. And this is Jewish book written by Jewish people about a Jewish Savior. Can I get an amen to that? Okay. But in the meantime, the synagogue had become a synagogue of Satan. When you see Jesus get angry in the scripture, it's not the woman caught in adultery, right? It's not the tax collector that was stealing from people. It was the self-righteous religious people who were Pharisees and thought they had earned heaven through their own good works. And though that's the synagogue of Satan. They're the ones that are following their, the God that they have created. And there's a lot of places with steeples over them that are synagogues of Satan because they think you can get to heaven by any other way other than Jesus Christ. And they will create rules. They will create new prophets. And they'll have other ways to go. There's things that the Lord hates. Did you know that? And you know what he hates? He hates false prophets who are trying to drag people to hell. Amen? Pastor Dave, you shouldn't say bad things about the Mormon church, the Jehovah's Witnesses. We love them all. We want to see them all saved. Their doctrine, it's a doctrine of the devil. Amen? Well, we serve Joseph Smith. He's a prophet. No, he's not. He's a false prophet. Amen? So the point is that they were being persecuted by their own people in the synagogue where at one point, not many years earlier, they taught the, of the coming Messiah, but when the Messiah came, they rejected him. And he's saying, look, I know that within your own group of people that would say they're followers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you have the very people that are, are, are were denying Jesus. And he's letting them know that they will be judged if they don't repent. Now, here's the good news. As we go through Revelation, we're going to see that God's not done with Israel. And we get about chapter 6 and moving forward, we're going to see the judgment of God coming. And we're going to see that, that, that Israel, that there's going to be 144,000, 12,000 each of the 12,000 tribes of Israel. There will be witnesses to the truth. I believe millions of the Jews will get saved. And you know what? That's what I tell every time I meet somebody who's, who's still following the old covenant. I let them know, by the way, if we all disappear, go to our website. It's rapture proof. And I want you to I want you to go and go through Revelation with us because it's been happening all around you. Amen? So God's not done, but they've been rejecting the Messiah. If you reject the Messiah, you reject Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you reject the Messiah, you, re you reject Almighty God. You can't reject Jesus and have the Father. You can't have, it doesn't work that way. So the people that once sought to know God had become tools of the enemy. It says, for we did not battle against flesh and blood. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, he was not with me, is against me. It says, they who say they are Jews, but they are not. When we met in the synagogue, I would meet with the rabbi and he'd say, well, yeah, we're Jews. And I'd say, well, actually you're not. 
What do you mean we're not Jews? Well, because the Jews were God's chosen people. I'm not saying God's not done with Israel. He's not done with you yet. But what you need to understand is the true Jews, what did they do? They believed in the Messiah that came, and you've rejected him. I'm more Jewish than you, bro. You know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> the point I'm making is you've rejected the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's what was happening. The remnant of Israel who was being saved had left the synagogue by this time. They'd given up on the law as a means of salvation and sanctification. Those who continued to seek salvation through the law in the synagogue were now in a false religion. Paul would say in Romans 9, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. So the true followers of Christ are the ones who have followed the Messiah. The Jews have been given the truth and the law and the prophets, but had rejected the truth. Again, God's not done with the Jews, and I'm thankful for that. And we love the Jewish people. Can I get an amen to that? But notice it says at the end of that verse there, he says, uh, he says, indeed, you say they are Jews, but they lie. It implies that they were not only lost and persecutors of the church, but they made false accusations against the Christians. Who was the biggest accuser of the Christians? Who was it? What was his name? Paul, Saul of Tarsus. Religious, lost, got knocked off his high horse on the road to Damascus, had a head-on collision with Jesus, and went from being Saul of Tarsus, persecuted Christians, the Apostle Paul, who could be argued the greatest example of a Christian who ever lived. And you know what happened? He had a head-on collision with Jesus. Amen? And that's what needs to happen to all of us. And then it says there at the end of that verse, indeed, I will make them come and worship. Jesus promises to vindicate his people and to make their prosecutors recognize that they are wrong, the persecutors of them, and that Jesus and his followers are right. Before your feet, not, not at their feet in worshiping Christians, but worshiping in their presence. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Point number four, they're persevering in the midst of persecution. How do we persevere in the midst of of persecution. It's not easy, but God has called us to do so. And if he calls us to do it, he will give us the strength to do it. Amen? Because it's not easy. And, and God will bring the vindication and God will bring about you know, his perfect will. But notice it says, they persevere in the midst of persecution. Look what it says in verse 10, because you have kept my command and persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on earth. Okay. I know we have people in here who are mid-trib and post-trib, and we love you, and you're going to be so happy when you're wrong. Can I get a minute of that? Look what this verse says. Because you kept my command, I will also... Keep you from the hour of trial. What's he talking about? Tribulation. Tribulation. And then he says, which shall come upon who? Whole Whole world. So when God pours out his wrath upon the whole world, we're not appointed unto wrath. And so before the wrath, by we're just a few verses away from when John gets called up. So this is perfect, okay? And what happens is the church gets snatched away because he does not pour out his wrath on his own children. Amen? So he's saying right here, that again, he's persevering in the midst of persecution. I will, upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. So when we're gone, then the rest of the people that are here, and we'll get into this later, I don't have time because I'm already running over, but we will see it. Keep coming back because we're going to see all the judgments come upon the world. We're going to see the rise of the Antichrist. We're going to see the two witnesses, and we're going to just see the hand of God at work. And by the way, from chapter four till the end of the book, when the church comes back at the second coming, we don't see the church listed anywhere. And there's a precursor to that. Again, if that's your Bible, right? Pre-trib on the the right-hand side of your Bible like I did, because it just means that God is going to, again, the word persevere is hupomone, to stand under. Those who stand under, those who stand with the Lord in the face of the trials, eventually there'll be a time when he will snatch us away before his righteous judgment comes upon the earth. Again, all things work together for good for those who trust in God, the called according to his purpose. Not your purpose, not your wants, not your will, but his will. And that, and that judgment will come upon the whole earth. Just real quick, here's just a seal judgment. You want a few, or here, here's just a few, or the bull judgments. I'll, I'll give you some of them. Loathsome sores, seas turned to blood, 
Every living creature in the sea dies. Waters turn to blood, the rivers, the springs, scorching with great heat, darkness and pain, gnawing on their tongues because of the pain. The Euphrates dries up which is a precursor to Armageddon. The earth will be shaken, the greatest history in human history, a greatest earthquake in human history. Mountains will disappear because the earthquakes are so big, and 120-pound hailstones will be falling from the sky that are on fire. And we'll be hanging out with Jesus. Can I get him into that? Where do you hide for 120-pound hailstones on fire? You know when you read all that, gnawing of teeth, in darkness, extreme heat, what's that a picture of? It's hell. And though we'll experience hell on earth, but still have an opportunity to get saved, they will surrender their life to the Lord. And Jesus' promise to these faithful Christians is to keep them from it, not to deliver them through it. And I am so, so thankful for that. Let's finish up. Verse 11, notice what he says here. Behold, I come... What? Behold, I come quickly. Now, I had just had this discussion just yesterday with somebody, and he was saying, you know, you Christians always talk about quickly. I don't understand how it could be quickly. And I said, well, days to a thousand years is a thousand years is to a day. It's been two, it was two a thousand years from, from Adam to Abraham, two thousand years from Abraham to Jesus, two thousand years from Jesus to us. But days to a thousand years is a thousand years to a day. He created the heavens and earth in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. We're going to have rule and reign with him for a thousand years upon the earth during the, during the millennial reign. Amen? So for the Lord, coming quickly, it's only been six days. Can I get an amen to that? It's a vapor of time. He's coming quickly, and we should live every day in the light of that. The Philadelphia Christians were given... Uh, incentive to continue to persevere like this is for but a little while. I'm coming quickly. We're going to see the world. I, I cannot wait for the millennial reign. How about you? No voting for knuckleheads anymore. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> Jesus on the throne. God's in control. See what the world's like with God in control. Satan is chained. Lion laying down with lambs. Kids playing by the viper's nest, right? That's what the Bible says. Be like the Garden of Eden if nobody sinned, but better. Can I get an amen to that? And we're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Dude, that beats 401k to death. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> Not only is he coming back, he's coming quickly. The word quickly, there's sudden and unexpected, without warning or time to get things in order. When he comes, it's going to be too late if you don't know him. Amen? Yeah. Boom. What happened? You show up next Sunday and nobody's here? Okay. Get in the word. Can I get an amen? Tribulation's coming, but God's not appointed us under wrath. We must live in expectation of him coming every single day because once he comes, it will be too late. We'll be a vapor of time to serve him, to obey him, again, to impact eternity. Hold fast to what you have, he says, that the church in Philadelphia was being exhorted by Jesus to not depart from its foundation, its sharing of its faith, its reliance upon God, its faithfulness to his word. You stay faithful to that. Hold fast to that. Until I come, because I'm coming quickly. Notice what he says there, that no one may take your crown. That no one may take your crown. Jesus is not taking, uh, talking about losing your salvation. He's talking about not losing out on your heavenly rewards. The word crown there is a Stephanos, uh, or Stephen gets his name right. It's a victor's crown given to ones who not only run the race, but finish it strong and wins the race. The exhortation here is don't give up because things are tough. Don't give up because the world around us is falling apart. We're here for such a time as this. It's our turn to represent Jesus, amen? And may we be faithful to our turn in the time we've been given. Our daily focus should be on impacting eternity, not temporal ease or comfort. I just want to be comfortable. You know what? We have a comforter because we're not supposed to be comforted, comfortable, amen? Last verse. I might go over a couple minutes, but we're going to heaven soon, so what difference does it make? Verse 12. He says this, lastly, having the promise of eternal and unshakable reward. Look at verse 12, it says, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall, not go, out. He shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Heaven's going to come to earth in a sense going to create a new heavens and a new earth. We're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And I think one that it says, he that overcomes prevails, conquers. He who overcomes has a permanent place in heaven. 
He shall go out no more. The overcomer will have a place of permanence and stability with God in, contra in, in contradiction to the uncertain place we have on this world. When we're with the Lord, we're going to be so at peace. We're never going to, no fear, no anxiety, no worry, nothing. All disease is gone. We're in his presence. We're singing his praises. We're seeing our Savior face to face. We're hugging on Jesus, getting in line behind me. Amen? <laughs> I just love it. Did Roger's funeral on Friday, who attended here, was with the Gideons for decades. He just talked about how, boy, Roger got to see Jesus. And guys, that, that day's coming, amen? I long for it. Always, from always living in fear, but in the word again, we'll find a permanent place in heaven if you overcome. We'll have nothing to fear ever again. He said, I write the name of my God, the name of the city of my God. In the ancient culture, when you wrote the name on something, it meant you be it belonged to you. When you wrote your name on it, it meant it was yours. When I was a kid growing up, you know, my mom, my mom would write my name on my football jersey stuff. So when I came back from practice, people knew it was mine. He's going to write his name on you. He writes his name on you. You belong to Jesus. That's why I love being called Christian, because I belong to Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? And he says, there, I love that. We belong to Jesus. Might be going through a tough or a great difficulty and persecution. Remember who you belong to and how valuable you are to him. When the world makes you feel like you're of no value, just remember how much the Lord loves you and who you belong to and what he was willing to pay that you might have eternal life. He'd rather die on the cross and live without you. That's our God. And you belong to him. You may have a difficult present, but you got an unshakable future. Amen? Good reminder we may be tempted to compromise. I love what it says a pillar. A pillar is something that, that remains sturdy and strong. It's put in a place and it's there for a reason. It holds everything else up. And he says there that you will be to him a pillar in my temple of my God. So I right now, God's using us to be pillars to a lost and a dying world. Amen? To stand up for the truth, to hold up the truth. Again, God doesn't need us to hold it up, but he uses us to hold it up. He gives us opportunities to share the hope that lies within us. So in closing, but this is a Bible rock or what? Okay. But in closing, characteristics of a faithful church and a believer. First, love for holiness and the truth. I want to tell you this too. The more time you spend in the truth, the more you're going to love it. So you got to spend time in God's word. Amen? A love for holiness. You know, when we live holy, God, God blesses it, doesn't he? Right? When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Secondly, trusting in His strength, not our own. Aren't you glad you don't have to do it in your own strength? Aren't you glad you don't have to buck up and get it going, bro? You got to do it. Pull up your bootstraps. No, just put on Jesus. Can I get amen? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. He does it. It's His strength. Homie got my back. Amen? I'm with Jesus. I'm with Him. I'll just stand next to Him. Amen? It's just his strength. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. The burden's heavy when you're doing your own strength. When you do it in his, there's no burden at all. Amen? Leaving judgment in God's hands. Let's not fall into the sons of thunder, calling down fire, right? Just say, Lord, I deserve to be judged. So let me just love those people, and judgment will come in your time. Persevering in the midst of persecution, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. We find out where we are, right? Tea bags, you know, put a Christian in hot water, you find out what's on the inside, amen? And God, was, as we're going through the trials of life, we get to see who we are in Him, and then living every day in anticipation of His soon return. We should be thinking about His return every single day throughout the day. Because you know what? When you're thinking about eternity, you know what happens? You're a little less afraid to talk to somebody about Jesus. Amen? When, you, when you're thinking about eternity, you're a little less concerned about the temporary things of this life that are all going to burn. Amen? What happens is that eternity, you know, paint eternity on our eyes. Because guys, we've got a vapor of time here. We're going to spend eternity with Him. And then finally, having the promise of an eternal and unshakable reward. I don't deserve a reward. But if the Lord wants me to strive for it, if the Lord wants me to finish strong than I want to. How about you? I, I don't deserve it. And I believe like most commentators that when we're given crowns, we're going to cast them back at his feet anyway. Amen. Because he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Hey guys, I want to say that for such a time as this, we've been placed upon the earth. And for such a time as this, we're, we're in Thousand Oaks and the Canal Valley and got people from Simi Valley and 
Newbury Park and Cambria, wherever you are. And God has us here for a reason to be salt and light. And my prayer for all of us is that our lives have an impact on eternity and that we will reflect Jesus well. Amen? Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. And Lord, we know we can't do any of this in our own strength. So Lord, I pray that there'd be less of us and more of you. Lord, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for this fellowship. Lord, help us to be, use the gifts you've given us to reach this city and beyond for your kingdom and for your glory. I pray for people here who have unsaved family members. We pray for their family members. We pray for uh, prodigal sons and daughters that you would draw them back into yourself. We pray for divine appointments to encourage and strengthen them. We pray, Lord, for our unsaved co-workers and neighbors. Lord, may we be salt and light. We pray for this campus, Lord. I pray you'd be glorified on every square foot of it, 365 days a year. Lord, I pray that for the men in this room, we'd be the spiritual leaders in our household. We would not be ashamed of the gospel. I pray for moms and dads that we'd have marriages that are honoring unto you. And we pray we'd be an example to our children and our grandchildren. So Lord, we long for the day when you will call us home. But we pray until you get here that we would be busy about your work. Lord, may you find us faithful when you return. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. All God's people said, Amen.